The Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey combines a commitment to sensitive care with a state-of-the-art program. We proudly present Fertility Talk with RSCNJ. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to Fertility Talk with RSCNJ, the Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey. I'm Melanie Cole and today we're discussing intrauterine insemination, Clomid versus superovulation. Joining me to tell us what that means is Dr. William Ziegler. He's a specialist in reproductive endocrinology and infertility, and he's the medical director of the Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey. Dr. Ziegler, it's a pleasure to have you join us again today. Tell us what does it mean to have an ovulatory disorder? What are the most common disorders that you see? When we look at a patient and we get their history, um, based on their uh, cycle length, if they have any mid-cycle or ovulatory pain, that kind of tells us a little bit more regarding their cycle. But looking at the timing of when maybe their ovulation predictor kit turns positive, um, if it's happening too late in the cycle or too early in the cycle, that can also indicate an ovulatory problem. Because even though a woman may have a normal menstrual cycle that ranges between 21 to 35 days, if their ovulation kit is turning positive on day 19, well, that's abnormal. And we need to kind of figure out what else is going on. So we use their history. We, um, we ask them questions about the symptoms they have around the time of their period. And then are they having premenstrual syndrome, uh, which basically indicates to us that most likely they are ovulating. But now it comes down to what is the quality of ovulation they are having. And that is where we turn to obtaining blood work. And we get blood work in the first part of a woman's cycle. And it's usually on day two, three, or four, and then of their cycle. And we look at a hormone called FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, as well as LH, luteinizing hormone, and another um, hormone test called AMH, or anti-mullerinian hormone. So when we look at these values, we want the FSH level to be less than 10 in the first part of their cycle. It should not be elevated. Nor should the LH level be more than the FSH in the first part of their cycle because LH is high in the mid-portion of the cycle, and that's what turns the ovulation predictor kits positive. So we look at these two levels, and then we look at AMH. And the way I look at antimarinian hormone is it basically tells us how well the ovary has been working over the last six to eight months. It's sort of like the average miles per gallon for a car. So it tells us how has this ovary been working. And if it's working normally, AMH levels should be more than two. If it occasionally needs more gas to, to have a good ovulation or, or to ovulate, then the level's between one to two. And if it needs a lot of FSH more frequently, then it's going to be less than one. And based on those values, we determine how aggressive we get with a patient's treatment. Um, sometimes we just need to use a medication like um, Clomid or Letrozole, which are oral medications. Or maybe we need to jump to the injectable fertility drugs, and those are the ones that contain follicle-stimulating hormone, again, to increase that FSH in the first part of the cycle to recruit some more follicles and maybe some better follicles. Wow, that was an Excellent lesson you just gave us, Dr. Ziegler. Now, as, as I mentioned the topic before in my intro, please explain for us the difference between ovulation induction with Clomid that you just mentioned and superovulation, ovarian hyperstimulation. Tell us what the difference is and why 
these work for some women, how you choose which one to do. Well, with clomid and letrozole, they do not directly stimulate the ovary. What they actually do is clomid blocks estrogen receptors by the pituitary and the hypothalamus, which sit high within the brain, because as a follicle grows in the ovary, it makes estrogen. That estrogen feeds back to the glands in the brain and tells it, okay, I don't need more FSH. You can decrease that now. Well, what clomid does is it blocks those receptors. So those glands, the hypothalamus and pituitary, do not see the estrogen. So therefore, it keeps the FSH level high for a longer period of time. Letrozole blocks the conversion of a male hormone called androgens that comes from the ovary. It's converted to estrogen, and that also feeds back to the hypothalamus and pituitary gland. So what letrozole does is it blocks that conversion. So again, it lowers the concentration of estrogen, and that's how it increases um, a woman's own production of FSH. Well, in some women, the FSH level is already elevated, especially when a woman gets older. The ovary needs more gas to produce estrogen, and that's what and that's what it's trying to do. So if the pituitary gland is putting out a lot of follicle-stimulating hormone, the oral medications are really not going to help because they're not going to increase that FSH level any higher than what it is. It's sort of like you can only give the car so much gas. You can't put that gas pedal right through the floorboard. So you can only do so much. So now with superovulation, it's sort of like where we put another gas tank and then on this car engine where they have gas coming from the pituitary gland to rev rev up the ovary, and they have another gas tank, which are the injections of follicle-stimulating hormone. So based on the blood work, if they have severe ovarian dysfunction or if their ovaries are acting markedly older than they are chronologically, then we want to get more aggressive and bring along more follicles uh, to come along or better follicles. We also use the injectables in those patients that fail Clomid, or letrozole, or are resistant to it. We just can't get a response when we use those medications. So then we use the injectable fertility drugs, or as we refer to them as gonadotropins. Um, Or if a patient fails to conceive with those medications despite having a good response, we may discuss with them going on to stronger fertility drugs so that we're making more follicles and more eggs being produced. Because with clomid and letrozole, you may get one or two follicles or one or two eggs. With the injectables, yes, you can get around three or four. That's where we like it to be. In those patients that have more than four mature follicles, we counsel them about the possibility of multiples and um, the risks of having twins, triplets, as well as even quadruplets. Well, you just got to my next couple of questions there, Dr. Ziegler. So if three or four eggs are the goal with superovulation with the injectables, Tell us some of the other risks. Now, you mentioned multiple births. What else do you discuss with couples? And that how many eggs are an ideal goal? How do you determine for a woman based on her disorder what really the goal is? What do you say to them about the risks for this? Well, you also have to keep in mind that even though we're seeing follicles by ultrasound and a follicle contains fluid, I can't tell a patient there's definitely an egg inside that follicle. So that's why... If we are increasing the number of follicles, you're hopefully increasing the number of eggs and increasing the chance of a patient conceiving. But keep in mind that not every follicle is going to have an egg and not every egg that's released is going to get fertilized. So uh, when we look at 
And when we look at the studies and we say, okay, how many follicles should a woman have? Um, and as I mentioned before, with Clomid and Letrozole, you're only going to get one or two follicles and then on the average. And those are patients, we use this medication with those patients that have unexplained infertility in those patients that have polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, those patients that, again, if there's a mild male factor issue, we will use Clomid and Letrozole along with intrauterine inseminations because Clomid and Letrozole can adversely affect the cervical mucus. Cervical mucus turns watery for two days out of a woman's cycle, and that allows the sperm to swim through the cervix and get up into the uterine cavity and ultimately the fallopian tubes. Like I mentioned before, that these two things affect estrogen. And if you're lowering the, the, the exposure of estrogen to the cervical mucus, it may not turn watery. So the sperm is dropped off within the vagina, and it never even gets into the uterus because the mucus is not watery enough. And that's where inseminations come into play. And if we use Clomid or Letrozole along with inseminations, it kind of doubles the pregnancy rate, mainly because you're increasing, as I, as I referred to it, as you're increasing the number of bullets going towards a target. Cause you in, so you take all that sperm that's in the vagina and, or the sperm within an ejaculate, and you take all those moving sperm and you put it up inside the uterus. They don't need to swim from the cervix up into the top part and then the uterus and then into the tubes. We're actually taking a larger number of modal sperm and putting it up inside the uterus. When we talk about the injectables, yeah, there are risks to the injectables and as well as letrozole clomid, and I was mentioning multiples before. Uh, the risk of twins with the, with the oral medications, which it's only 5%, and less than 1% have triplets or higher. Um, when we talk about the injectables, yeah, it's going to be higher. It's used in, in the, um, the Internet reports 30% chance for twins and 10% chance for triplets or higher. But it all depends on the practice and the amount of medication which you start off with. Patients who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, we're going to start off at a very low level because they're going to be very sensitive to the medication versus somebody who is in their early 40s and have a reduced and then anti-malarinian hormone level. I'm going to start at a higher level. Is there an optimum number of follicles to come along? It's not really an optimum. It's basically you don't want to set this patient up to make a decision about selective reduction that if they have triplets, quads, or pentuplets, they may need to make a decision of, about selective reduction, about reducing down the pregnancy for the sake of the remaining children or um, fetuses that are in, in which are in the uterus. Uh, we never want to put our patients in that position. So you kind of go by their history, go by laboratory um, findings. We look at the sperm, and that kind of helps us guide uh, how much medication to give a patient. Um, other side effects that can occur with fertility medications, which is ovarian torsion, it's where the ovary can twist upon itself, but that occurs in less than 2% of cases. Um, so those are kind of uh, the major risk factors. And there's also ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, and that's more common with the injectables. Um, this is where a woman normally makes one follicle every month that ovulates that fluid that comes from that follicle leaks into the abdomen. And that usually doesn't cause a problem, but if you have multiple follicles all doing the same thing, a woman can become dehydrated. Um, and that occurs in around 3% of cases. In those cases that become severe, those are the ones we have to see in the emergency room. 
and we give them back IV fluids. And sometimes we do need to do a paracentesis and drain off fluid, but we don't want to get to that point. So currently, the the rationale is to start off at a lower dose. Um, and if that doesn't work, then bump it up. And you try to get to a as I'd refer to it as a kindling point. It's that, it's that point that we start seeing rapid growth within the follicles, and then you can back down the medication. So you can have the smaller follicles fall to the wayside, and the more mature, healthy follicles are the ones that get to maturity and they ovulate. What a fascinating topic we've got today. Dr. Ziegler, as we wrap up, and as you said so very clearly, since not every follicle will give you an egg, And not every egg will become an embryo, as well as not even every embryo might be hardy and healthy enough to be transferred. What would you like women to know about how they can increase their odds of pregnancy success as we're talking about ovulation disorders and intrauterine insemination, Clomid, versus superovulation? You've given us such great definitions and explanations. Wrap it up for us. Well, I think the first thing is to realize that Fertility is finite. And if you're less than the age of 35, if you're trying for a year and things haven't happened, it is time to seek help from a specialist. If you're over 35, six months. And at that point in time, if by six months you are not pregnant of active relations or if you're under 35 one year, you really need to um, seek out help because there's multiple issues in which can affect fertility. And the idea is to try to find out what is affecting the couple. It's not, a, it's, just not, it's not just a female issue. It's not just a male issue. It is a couple issue. And how do we address each one of those factors to help improve their success rate? Clomid and letrozole are not for everybody. The injections are not for everybody. Inseminations may not be for everybody. But it's something where you try to identify the problem and early intervention is the key because every woman has a timeline. I've been doing this for over 20 years and I realize that every woman has a timeline. And by the time they come into our office, they are so far off their timeline. And our job is to get them back there. And the question is, how do we do that? And I think if I had to, if I had to say one thing as a take home message is early intervention. It doesn't mean time. It means when is your frustration to a point that, okay, this is not working. I realize there's a problem. Let me find out what I can do about it. Great information. Dr. Ziegler, you're such an excellent guest as always. Thank you again for joining us. This is Fertility Talk with RSCNJ, the Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey. For more information, please visit fertilitynj.com for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. Please also remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.